0: Hi everyone, I'm Sky Ross, and this is Motherness, a podcast dedicated to sharing mindful and empowering interviews with mothers and experts. Together, we're shining a light on the realness of raising babies and life postpartum, from the first moments to the months following and the years beyond. Motherness serves to hold space for mothers in all their glory, to inform you, to include you, to empower you, and to connect you. And despite our different experiences, opinions, and approaches, as mothers who love, we are grounded in this together. Today's episode is about birth trauma. Whether you've experienced it firsthand, are on your journey of healing, or want to support fellow mothers on theirs, this episode is for all of us. I'm joined by the founder of the non-profit charitable organization Voice for Parents. Carla Sargent helps mothers and Fano to heal their hearts after broken births, and quite simply, the mahi she does is incredible. I've wanted to speak to Carla since the inception of motherness, knowing that the saying of, well at least you've got a healthy baby, that we all hear, or sometimes dish out, is often well-meaning, but invalidates and dismisses the right and deservedness we all have to a positive and empowering birthing experience. To many of our mothers, that sentiment that you should be grateful for the physical safety of yourself and your baby is detrimental, and it fails to recognize the lasting effects a traumatic birth can have on the fourth trimester, and well beyond the immediate postpartum period. I myself said in the trailer for Motherness that giving birth is most life-changing in the sense that it's the start of the rest of our lives. That for me, it was like a rebirth. But what about the women who don't share that same view because they were robbed of that experience? Today's kōrero with Carla is for you. It might not be much, but I hope this acknowledgement of the problem is a start. The message from today's episode is clear. However you feel about your birth, your feelings are valid. If today raises some feelings of trauma about your own birth, please reach out for help. I've listed all of the resources mentioned by Carla as well as a list of support services for perinatal mental health in the show notes so you can easily find them. Please use them if you need to. This episode discusses perinatal depression and anxiety and mentions suicide. This episode may be triggering for some people so please take care while you're listening and take a break if you need to. Hi, Carla. Welcome to Motherness. Thanks so much for joining me. Do you want to just start by introducing yourself to our listeners? Tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do.
1: Sure. Yeah. So um, I, I've i been working in birth trauma support work for about seven years now. Um Kind of for a couple of years, it was just sort of voluntarily, and um, it wasn't anything I was sort of necessarily going to be pursuing in terms of a career. Um, but five years ago, I started up Voice for Parents, which is a birth trauma support organisation, and yeah, this work kind of stemmed out of my role as a midwife. Once upon a time, <laughs> feels like a lifetime ago. Um, yeah, I used to work as a midwife. 20 years ago, and um, after I had my daughter, I just yeah, and that was only a couple of years into my practice. I didn't feel like I could, could continue to be a midwife um, and raise her the way I wanted to raise her. So, so uh, yeah, sort of decided I needed another career and became a teacher. So, I'm actually also a full time teacher at the moment at a high school, I wow. teach science and bio. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I do this birth work on the side. I've got three children, a 20-year-old and an 11-year-old and a 10-year-old. So yeah, between mothering
0: and teaching um, and doing this
1: work, I'm kind of busy. Yes,
0: you are very busy. So can you just give us a bit of background into how you started Voice for Parents and where um, what the catalyst was, I guess, for starting that?
1: So there was a while there where I was thinking should I go back and retrain to become a midwife because I just have such a passion for supporting uh, women and whānau around empowered and positive birthing and I couldn't really see of other ways to do that without being a midwife. That sort of seemed like the obvious to me. But it didn't feel quite right to to do that with my family still quite young and lots of reasons, actually. Um, but at the same time where I was sort of contemplating what I could do as a role to continue to, I guess, support that passion of mine um, without being a midwife, my sister Jenny was working as a space facilitator. And space is a, like a support group for um, new parents in the first year of their child's life. And they meet weekly and, and discuss all matter of things related to parenting and motherhood. And so one of the sessions that, um, she would have these women be involved with was, you know, the opportunity to share their birth stories. And it seemed like inevitable that Jenny would call me up after every one of those, um, sessions to sort of say, oh my goodness, Carla, you know, again, at least half the class just were ha- had horrendous births or were really upset about how their births went and she just didn't know where to send them for support or kind of what to say. And so I was like, look, you know, if, if you ever have anybody who wants to talk through their birth experience with me, I'd you know, be totally happy, happy to listen and try and help them to better understand kind of, you know, maybe why things went the way they did. And just, yeah, that was pretty incredible in itself. Just, um, I think just having somebody listen to their story and validate their experience um, without saying something like, well, at least you've got a healthy baby. (laughs) You know, that's that's what you need to focus on because that's what women women hear time and time again, you know, like uh, that sort of you ought to be grateful kind of an attitude and sort of push your own feelings aside. Um, So I think just to be heard in a validating way was like actually really healing in itself. And, uh, you know, often I was the first person who had ever listened without, you know, saying those sorts of, and I think they're well-meaning things when they're being said. People don't know how to support someone and they, you know, so they encourage them to focus on the positives. Um, But it's it's really undermining of of the women's own experience, which can be really, really intense. So so I was like, well, actually, this feels really good. And clearly there's like a, a need out there. And so Jenny and I put together a survey and it was just like, I was like, if I can just get the voices of maybe 40 or 50 women, that would be amazing to kind of get some, I don't know. There would just seem to be no data available, no or very, very limited research that had been done in New Zealand on birth trauma. And so I was like, right, if we put together this survey, then, uh, you know, I'll be able to get some answers around, you know, what support is out there already, what's working, what isn't, and what women feel they need that they're not getting. Uh, what are the partners' experiences of birth trauma? if they laid a complaint how did that work for them was that a positive experience or not yeah all sorts of different questions in there and i knew i was asking a lot of you know in the survey there was a lot of open ended questions and and yeah i knew i was asking a lot because i knew it would be an emotional experience to to respond to that survey so i wasn't expecting many people to answer and and it was put out there just like as you know, if you are a New Zealand woman who has experienced birth trauma, um, then I invite you to answer this anonymous survey. And you know what? We got 319 responses to that. It was just sort of wow. shared o- organically online. And I was just, yeah, amazed. And these women just poured out their hearts onto paper or onto the computer. But you know, in sharing their stories, it was quite profound the clear need that they had to just express what had gone on for them and you know even if it wasn't a face-to-face kōrero where you know they could have their experience sort of validated I think just to be heard was really really important um, and here was somebody saying I want to do something about this you know the the gap that exists um, in support services for women in New Zealand And and so yeah it seems that women jumped at the opportunity. So I was like, wow, I felt quite overwhelmed with the amount of information that we collected. And I was like, you know, what do I do with this? I'm not a researcher. <laughs> you know, I'm not like, um, and I, yeah, but I just, I spent many, many, many hours um, looking for patterns and, you know, and, and what these women were saying and sort of collating statistics around it and um, put together this report Um on on the survey and that was back in 2015 I think Mm -hmm. yeah and so yeah it it was really good doing that because it it just made me see what the need was out there and I realized actually I can I can fill a lot of that need um and so yeah thus was birthed voice for parents
0: (laughs) yeah amazing yeah you know, birth is a subjective experience, and I can speak to that myself. So for anybody listening who's maybe thinking, was my birth traumatic? How do I know if it was traumatic? In your experience, what constitutes a a traumatic birthing experience?
1: You know, that is such an important question. Birth trauma wasn't really talked about much until it feels like relatively recently. And I think that word trauma can feel like quite a loaded word for a lot of people or at least Mm. like you know you a birth couldn't be traumatic unless you had a near-death experience or you lost your baby or your baby was in the coup for months or you know like those really obvious traumas and the reality is that i don 't know what percentage it is, but the vast majority of women that i 've talked to through about their birth experiences their traumatic birth experiences their trauma is not nearly so obvious at um, you know a surface level, so often it 's about just a, an experience of disempowerment and so birth trauma is your birth is traumatic if you feel feel traumatized by it, if there is any ongoing uh, physical, emotional, mental repercussions of your birth that are, you know, that are not fading, um, and quickly, then you, you, you're perfectly entitled to call your birth traumatic and to seek out support, um, to heal from that trauma and and i think we have a real tendency you know we're in new zealand where the you know number 8 wire sort of mentality you know she'll be right mate well yep. so a lot of us just sort of brush our needs under the carpet i mean and especially as new mums right because when you're a new mum you've got so much on your plate you're trying to learn to be a mother and deal with sleepless nights and learn to breastfeed or cope with the all the different pieces of advice you're being sort of dished out and and for so many women you know having to deal with their own emotions and trauma associated with their birth is just put in the too hard basket and it's like it's shoved down and nobody's saying, hey, you know, that birth seemed really full on. Do you want to talk it through? Is there any questions mm. you have? Is there anything you're wanting to talk about with me? Or, you know, like that seemed like a pretty um full on experience. Would you like me to do a referral to perinatal mental health for you? Is there, you know, nobody's being asked this. They're being sort of no. sent away from the hospital, often being led to believe that it was just as well that they were in the hospital and that they got the treatment that they did because they, you know, their baby could have died otherwise and and you know, that's sort of like you should be grateful, sort of a mentality. And I think, you know, I think one of the key causes of trauma is the overmedicalization of what is undoubtedly a very natural, healthy process for or should be, for the vast majority of us right we're women our bodies are well designed to give birth um, yet we're told in many different ways that we can't trust our bodies our birthing bodies whether that's by being told we need to test for heaps of different things in pregnancy um, or we have a scan and we get told our baby is seeming a bit too big and maybe we need to you know, bring your birth date forward a bit and induce you, you know, if you haven't gone into labour by your due date. And there's all sorts of messages that women are being given about that they're not perfectly capable of birthing their babies without some form of medical intervention, when the reality is that we are, we are well designed to give birth, but we do need good information and we do need good support in order to believe that and to turn around all the misconceptions and the conditioning we've been, you know, raised with that says the opposite, that says, you know, birth is a medical procedure that needs specialist treatment. You need to be in the hospital, the place where, you know, sick people go, sick and dying people go to the hospital. Birth is a healthy process and there's so much in the way we talk about birth and the way we represent it in media and in, in the stories of birth from our, um, you know, our parents or our siblings or our um, neighbours or our friends who have had traumatic birth experiences, who have had these really over medicalized birth experiences that have felt really disempowering, where control has been taken away, where they've felt bullied or pressured into having interventions that they didn't really feel they needed, and where their own experiences have been ignored or brushed under the carpet. You know, I think so many of us, like, look forward to birth as an incredible like celebration right you're welcoming a new life into your into your into your family into your home into your life and it's something that we spend many months planning and for and getting excited about and dreaming how it it could be and we've all heard the odd story of somebody who's had a really great birth experience and we hope that that'll be us and I think for so many women trauma could be as simple as not having the birth experience that they'd hoped for. And if that's how they feel, you know, then that's valid. Like Mm. whatever you feel about your birth experience is valid and it deserves to be heard and, and, yeah, supported. You deserve support to heal if you feel traumatized by your birth experience.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, something that I've always thought about is that on paper, you could have two births that look exactly the same, both with potentially unexpected outcomes or unexpected intervention. But you could have one mother who feels disappointed about that experience, but okay. And you could have another mother who feels traumatized by that. And so I guess how can mothers differentiate between those two feelings And what are some of those more specific causes or experiences that can make a woman feel traumatized by her birth? Mm. I just think it's so
1: important not to compare your own experience to anybody else's. However Mm. you feel about your birth is valid. And just on that note, well, I think to say it, because I think it's such an important message to get out there, you can feel both Incredibly grateful for your healthy baby, and at the same time, feel devastated, angry, traumatized, frustrated, hurt, upset you know, inject whatever adjective is relates to your experience at the same time, right? They're not mutually exclusive things. And so, I just, you know, it's so hard to say because, like you say, I'm one woman who, you know, accidentally gives birth at home and a quick one hour labor might feel so empowered by that experience like wow i just did that on my own you know like midwife didn't even get here on time and you know i'd been planning to have the baby elsewhere or whatever and another woman could have that experience and be incredibly traumatized by it and experience you know ptsd symptoms and all sorts so it's never helpful or healthy to compare your experience to somebody else's. And, yeah, I'll just – I keep repeating it, and I I feel the need to. Whatever your feelings are, are valid.
0: So when we look at birth trauma, what are some of the causes that you see that seem to repeatedly come up and that you listed in that that birth report that you've done? Mm.
1: So a lot of the time birth trauma is caused by feeling that – Care has been less than supportive, <laughs> so feeling traumatized by uh, poor care from a maternity care provider or maternity care providers, whether that's a midwife or an obstetrician or somebody else involved in the birth, or multiple of those people. And I could talk at length about the, uh, you know details around that, but that's certainly one of the one of the key factors having an unexpected outcome so just you know suddenly finding you know your baby's heart rate uh, dips and suddenly you're having to have an emergency cesarean and your baby ends up in you know having to have a whole lot of treatment that that sort of thing so having unexpected outcomes can be really traumatizing feeling that you know your pain relief needs weren't met so um experiencing extreme pain and and feeling really helpless in that experience yeah just missing out on the birth experience that you'd hoped for feeling I'm trying to think of the word feeling like robbed of the birth experience that you'd hoped for so yeah but a lot of it seems to stem around, like I said earlier, the, the disempowerment. So in the birthing room, that could look like feeling pressured to have an intervention that you weren't really wanting, feeling sort of done to um, by multiple people who don't know you, who aren't you know, taking the time to introduce themselves to you and to talk you through the options or to say, hey, this is what I think needs to happen and this is why. Do you have any questions or are you comfortable with me doing that? Instead, women just feel like bullied and coerced and pressured, often by people who don't know them and don't know their history and who aren't treating them with the respect that a birthing woman or any any person deserves from um, a health professional. It's sort of almost like a birthing woman's body kind of loses all the general rights that we would apply to, you know, other situations. It's kind of like you know, I hear stories of women women having you know vaginal examinations sort of forced upon them without you know having that informed consent process being gone through, without. You know, but sometimes knowing the name of the person that's doing that procedure to them, that invasive procedure, at a time when she's already in a very and you know, often in a lot of pain or feeling really quite distressed, Um and then you know it can be things like while they're there, while these people have their fingers inside her, they then oh, I'm just going to you know do a stretch and sweep, or I'm just going to break your waters, and it's that like where's the informed consent where's the hmm. taking the time to let her make the decision that she feels is right for her and her baby you know and so having those options taken away at a time when you're already in a pretty powerless position is you know that's pretty terrifying for a lot of people and you know and we do and we've got to remember as well that there's um a lot of sexual abu- abuse that goes on and New Zealand and as elsewhere and um, so a lot of these women will have sexual abuse histories as well and that's an added layer to to the trauma that they can experience through something like a vaginal examination or you know a forceps or ventouse delivery I mean these are really full on invasive procedures for a lot of women but because they are so commonplace because you know birth interventions are rife it's, it's like there's no acknowledgement that, that that could have been traumatic. It's just mm-hmm. over-normalised is what it is. You know, we've come to normalise really medical birth experiences. I've got three babies. I've never had one vaginal examination in any of my three labours. Nobody has had the need to look between my legs. I've given birth in the water and the private in my private space, you know, my last baby, I caught myself. And, you know, like that compared to the experiences I'm hearing these women go through, it's just devastating because birth has the potential to make women feel just like they can completely trust their bodies, like they can completely trust their instincts. And that's really, really important when it comes to parenting a new baby right like there's so many decisions you have to make uh, around you know how to feed your baby or where to let your baby whether to let your baby sleep with you or all sorts of things you know loads of decisions to be making on behalf of your baby and and because we don't grow up in a culture where we see a lot of parenting or get a part of that sort of parenting process like could have been the situation with tribes or sort of more communal living, we're kind of thrown into this world of motherhood with very few skills often or knowledge. And so we are really dependent on our instincts, on our intuition. So if we've had a really positive and empowered birth experience where we have been encouraged to go with, the, you know, what your body is telling you to do, to trust your instincts, to... To just work with your body, and we have that experience, then we're just so much better set up to trust in our ability to to mother our babies well, and to trust our instincts. You know, if we if we are worried that something isn't quite right, we, we trust that. Or if we feel that it's it's um, that baby needs longer at the breast, then we trust that, or whatever. You know, we trust our instincts. But it's the exact opposite for so many of these women who are having these traumatic birth experiences where where they've been discouraged, actively discouraged from listening to their instincts and to to their bodies. Mm -hmm. They've been told that machines and specialists know better than they do what is best for their babies and best for themselves and labor. And when they have a really traumatic birth experience, you know, one of the side effects of that is often that they struggle to bond with their babies and they struggle to breastfeed. And so they've got they they feel and for so many reasons this this word is just really, really hard to hear because it's just not the truth. But they feel they failed at, at birth and then they feel they failed at bonding and at motherhood and at breastfeeding. And it's just heartbreaking to hear that because it has nothing to do with their bodies being broken. It has nothing to do with them, you know, being weak or that they should have said, said more or, you know, they should have read more or learnt more. It's nothing to do with what they should or shouldn't have done. Every birthing woman is a powerhouse of amazingness, no matter how she births her baby. And it's just, yeah, it's devastating that so many women enter motherhood in such a disempowered state and where they can't, they don't trust their, their bodies and they don't trust their instincts and they are terrified to make decisions on behalf of their baby because, you know, they're, they're, they're just failures. They don't know what they're doing. Where's my mothering instincts? Mm. Why am I not in love with my baby? Why am I, you know, yeah. Why am I feeling like I'm in this dark hole or, you know, just anxious all the time? You know, I've got a healthy baby. I should be grateful. And yeah, so many women are suffering in silence and nobody is saying to them, hey, you know, that must have been so hard. Do you want to talk about it? Do you want me to help you find some support?
0: Yeah, it's just, it it breaks my heart. I mean, when I was emailing you today, I... Had just read through the birth report, and honestly, I was in tears. Like, it just breaks my heart. And I think it's that it also minimizes, you know, the desire that we have to have a positive, empowering birth experience, which shouldn't even be a desire, but is like something that we all deserve. A rite of passage. And a right of
1: absolutely. passage. Absolutely.
0: And I can't imagine how it must feel going into that fourth trimester, which is already a vulnerable time, especially for a first-time mum. But I don't want to minimize it because I'm I'm sure every time feels vulnerable. But having that added layer must be just so incredibly difficult. Beyond I think anybody's comprehension who hasn't experienced birth trauma. Mm-hmm. So when we look at the impact of birth trauma and how that can impact the fourth trimester and the years beyond that, because for some women it is years, what sort of effects do we see on them long-term?
1: Yeah, often I um, first come into contact with women or they make contact with me for birth trauma support when they're pregnant again because Mm. this is a time when they suddenly, that anxiety rears its head big time. Like, oh my God, I have to give birth again. Like, that is terrifying. And it's actually often not until they're pregnant again and they're facing giving birth again that they realise just how traumatic their first birth experience was or their last birth experience that they had was. And so, they, you know, that's often when I'll first see women... Um, there's lots of reasons for that and it's and it really it comes down to like i said earlier that women sort of shove their own stuff down a because they sort of think who am i to like feel bad about my birth experience i should be grateful because that's the message they're getting fed by society a lot of the time but also you know also they're just trying to trying to get on with motherhood they just don't have the 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 mental emotional capacity to cope with dealing mm. with their own stuff and bringing that up and working through it when they're also trying to trying to you know cope with sleepless nights and mother their new baby so yeah so often it's not till they're pregnant again that that they'll seek out support and it's it's so valuable when they do that because there's so much work we can do to help heal their last birth experience to help heal their trauma and to and just just as importantly help set them up to have a a more positive and empowered next birth experience Um, but I'm finding that more and more I think as more is coming to be known about birth trauma and you know I'm I'm getting quite a few midwife referrals so um, I think more midwives in the community must know about the work that I'm doing As as it's becoming more um, understood, um, I'm getting a lot more women coming to me quite early on after they've um, given birth. So originally, I wasn't seeing hardly anyone until they were in in their next pregnancy. And now more and more I'm getting, like I just saw a woman yesterday whose baby is three and a half weeks old um what stops women from oh what are their experiences of um you know the ongoing effects of birth trauma um anxiety is kind of the first thing that comes to mind like yeah anxiety is rife amongst um women who have had a traumatic birth experience and that can kind of look different for different women um it could be it could be as bad as panic attacks if they um, face situations that remind them or trigger, trigger the trauma they experienced in their birth. Um, it could be hypervigilance where they're really worried that something bad is going to happen to their baby and they kind of um, can't sleep at night because they're worried if they, if they don't just keep an eye on their baby all the time the baby will stop breathing in their sleep or those sorts of Anxieties, or just a general sense of I just can't relax. I'm just like, you know, wound up all the time. Depression is actually not that common, so it's it's weird. For a long time, all we ever heard about was postnatal depression. Well, firstly, depression doesn't just happen postnatally; it can happen antenatally as well. Um, so we we try and term it perinatal around the time of birth, right before and after, um, and Anxiety is probably more common in my experience, um, certainly with women who have experienced birth trauma, than depression. So postnatal depression is now sort of perinatal um, distress is kind of the term that we're trying to use more. So, yep, anxiety, um, depression, sometimes, sometimes PTSD. So that's post-traumatic stress disorder or symptoms that are part of that disorder. Um, They can really struggle to bond with their babies. So about a third of the women who answered my survey said they um, had trouble bonding with their babies. Around half of them struggled to breastfeed or unable to establish breastfeeding uh, with their babies. Um, Relationship issues were really common with their partner. So um, about a third of women struggled to, you know, with relationship issues as sort of part of the fallout of their traumatic experience. And just a general sense of lack of self-esteem and unworthiness and guilt. Guilt is huge amongst these women. And I I feel like it's probably the biggest thing I do in my role is to help remove the guilt, to help them see why their trauma was through no fault of their own. That every woman, nobody wants a, a better outcome for the baby, you know, a good outcome more than the mother, right? That's just common sense and so I remind women that you made the best choices you could based on the support and information you had at the time full stop because that's all you will ever do right as a mum you will always make the best choices you possibly can based on what information you have at the time and the support you have available to you and so I say to women if you'd had different information and you'd had better support then you would you would probably have made a different decision but you made the best choices you could at the time and you need to just cut yourself some slack you know I often I often say to women like if it If it was your, say, grown-up daughter or your best friend sharing their birth experience with you, telling you their story, and their story was your story, I want you to think about how you'd respond to them, how you'd feel in response to them. And and I say... (laughs) You need to start giving that response to yourself because, you know, in our in our heads we're going, I wasn't enough. I wasn't good enough. I wasn't strong enough. I should have done this. I shouldn't have done that. But you would never say that. You would never feel like that towards your best friend. We're just so hard on ourselves. Mm. And so, yeah, um, we need to be gentle on ourselves as new mums. Yeah.
0: When women come to you or partners and they want to work through their traumatic birth experience and heal and move forward, what is kind of, I guess, the process and what are the options in terms of, um, yeah, working through this? Mm. So quite,
1: it's quite rare for me to get partners along and I do love it when they come. And one of the first things I say to them is... It's awesome that you're here and please don't be worried that I'm going to ask you to share your feelings or experiences just if you want to talk that's cool but if you just want to sit and listen that is worth its weight in gold anyway that for you to be here supporting your partner and hearing this discussion that we're gonna have and you will have a much better appreciation for how you can support her and you know, why she might be responding to things the way she is. Um and as well for a lot of these guys they've been quite traumatized too and it can be a really healing process for them to to hear the things that I say, to help them understand what's gone on. And um and to appreciate just the powerless position that that they were put in, you know, um, watching their their loved one go through sometimes really 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 scary stuff and feeling totally incapable of doing anything. So so sometimes I get guys along and sometimes I don't. I usually I don't. But regardless, um if it's a one on one session or one on two session, <laughs> um then I, yeah, I start off just by sort of talking, giving a little background on myself and making sure that they understand that I'm not a qualified counsellor and I'm not a qualified psychologist or any of that, you know, that I have a background in midwifery and I'm a teacher and I've done a lot of this work now. So making sure that they understand the limitations, I guess, of what I can do. I'm not going to be diagnosing them with this or that or, and then I get the woman to share her story with me. And I always say to women, we need to allow around at least two and a half hours for these sessions. And that sounds really, really long and full on, but it needs it. needs it. It's in my experience, that's how long it takes to talk through everything we need to. And I say, you know, when you share your story, just share whatever feels you feel you want to share and don't worry about how long it's taking and i'm just going to be jotting down notes and i don't want to interrupt you i'll come back to things later on so i'm just going to listen you just you just say whatever comes to you and so she'll share her experience and i'll sort of jot down notes and come back to and talk through um often it's helping helping her to understand like why things might have unfolded the way that they did so lots of women don't really understand Birthing physiology and um, how the different hormones function to support the the labour process, and how various interventions um, interfere with that process. And they don't understand this whole sort of cascade of intervention thing. They might have heard that term before potentially, but yeah, I just kind of help them often to understand why perhaps things went the way that they did, and why they might be feeling the ways that they do about themselves and their bodies about their babies about um their partners you know so um and then it's all about okay where to from here and we talk through some different uh i guess methods um tools that they can use to um help them to further process what has gone on and to and
0: to further heal yeah yeah amazing you're doing such incredible work. It's really, yeah, it's really amazing. Um, you know, something that really struck me when I was reading your report was the part about laying a complaint. And um, this, this really got me because um, there are a couple of mums that I'm really good friends with who had an experience where they – considered laying a complaint and I, I really didn't know what to say in that moment other than to encourage them to do so because that was just my the only knowledge that I had at that time but from reading your report what I failed to understand when talking to them sorry it makes me upset is that um, to potentially get to that point where you want to lay a complaint, you may feel such failure in the healthcare system that you might not even trust. And rightly so, because a lot of complaints don't even go anywhere, that anything will be done or that it will make you feel any better for doing so. So I guess what I'd like to know from you is... What reasons do you give to mothers about why it can be helpful or important to do so? And what is kind of the process in laying a complaint? Or Where do they even start if that's something that they think would be right for them in their healing journey? Mm. It's such a tricky one, and um,
1: I don't actively encourage people to lay complaints I support them if that's what they choose to do but I Mm -hmm. like anything else when it comes to pregnancy birth and motherhood it needs to be an informed thing that they are entering into so a lot of women want to lay a complaint Because they want the system to change so that other women don't have to go through what they went through. And so I am, I always point out to them that unfortunately, the likelihood of that being a valid outcome is incredibly low. And if they say, if I, you know, I, I say one of the things you need to consider if you, if you want to lay a complaint is what you hope to get. From that. So if it's not, if it's not that they want the system to change and, you know, make things better for someone else, it might be that they want an apology or they want some acknowledgement that what happened was not okay. And again, it's just, it feels awful to say it, but it, the truth is that so often women do not receive that, that apology. They do not, Have their trauma validated in any way, shape, or form. It's like, yeah, so often they are fobbed off. So I say that it's if you feel able and willing, knowing that, to go ahead with a complaint, then, oh my goodness, go for it because we need as many of those complaints to be registered with DHBs as possible. You know, they have to, that somebody has to read your complaint. That is not going to go un, unheard and it has to be filed in the system and the more that that happens, the more, I guess, weight there is, argument there is that, that systems need to change. But I think... You know, the fact is that most women and their partners do not feel in any sort of position to go through a complaints, writing out a complaint, and the emotional toll that that takes when the trauma is so raw and fresh. Um, it's just kind of too much when you're dealing with the the fallout of a difficult traumatic birth experience, and uh, you know, a baby that's not feeding, and you know, everybody's exhausted and not coping the last thing you want to do is kind of try and you know write out a complaint and um, especially if you know that it's you're probably not going to get the response that you need so you know I really I think it's amazing when people do find it within themselves and feel you know that they can go through that because it it is important that we uh, that those uh, complaints are being, you know, filed there. That there is a growing evidence of the injustices that are happening in the in the birth space. But I say, you know, don't do it unless, um, don't do it for anybody else other than yourself, and just do it with eyes wide open and get some support. So that's kind of writing a, a letter of complaint to a DHB, right, to a, a hospital that you've birthed in or a birth center, maybe, but. If there's other avenues as well, so there's the Health and Disability Code of Consumer Rights, which we've probably all seen the posters up around, ironically, all seen the posters up around the hospital, you know, um, the birthing suites and that, that, yeah, that spell out, spell out your birth rights or your rights as a consumer in the, in the, um, hospital. And so you can lay a complaint with the Health and Disability Commission, HDC complaint, if you believe that one or more of those rights has been breached. If women want to go through that process, then then I encourage them to, um, to get free advocacy for that process or in that process. So you can just, I, I put the, you know, give them the link, but you can just google hdc advocacy and yeah you can find somebody through that means and if the person who's your advocate doesn't seem to be doing a wonderful job then you can say like I want another someone different um, because unfortunately like any woman who's tried to get support through kind of mainstream means when it comes to birth trauma you'll find that it's really really specific uh, dependent on who you get as to whether they have I don't know knowledge about how to support somebody who's had a traumatic birth experience. It sort of seems to be quite a specific aspect, I guess, of psychology, or you know, um, yeah. I, um, yeah. So uh, I guess advocacy is the sort of same. Sometimes you get some people who really understand what your needs are, and some don't. And so, um, so that can be a helpful process. Uh, most HDC complaints don't go anywhere. So uh, you know, it's rare that uh, and uh, that the complaint will be deemed. By the commissioner to be worthy of investigation. So again, that's you know, if you go through that process, you, there's no guarantee that you're going to have your your case properly heard. There's also if you if you felt that your midwifery care was Inadequate or, um, you want to give feedback about your midwifery care. There's, you can give feedback. So there's an online feedback form that you can fill in. So NZCOM, New Zealand College of Midwives. If you go onto that website and just put, or if you put in feedback, New Zealand midwife, you'll be able to find the link. And that feedback form is anonymous and it, it goes both to the midwife and to the, the college who hold it so it's used as part of the midwifery standards review process that every midwife must go through I think it's every two years where evidence is collected essentially to ensure that their practice is meeting you know um, standards so yeah. So that's another way of having your voice heard without it feeling, I guess, confrontational or too overwhelming or anything like that. You can kind of have your say with and remain anonymous. Or you can go through the midwifery, um, oh, it's gone from a midwifery council, um, and get, do a midwifery, uh, have your, like a meeting with your midwife and with, um, I'm trying to think of, the person in the middle. What am I thinking? Like a mediator, it's, yeah, a mediator. Thank you. I was thinking interpreter. It's not an interpreter, um, and have a mediator there to yeah, just mediate a discussion between you and your midwife, just so you can have an opportunity to share how you felt, that down, etc. Um, so those are the really the main avenues of of complaint. Yeah.
0: Okay, great. Thank you. I'll put a link to all of those in the show notes. So if anybody listening does want to explore those options, they can find them easily. Awesome. You know, we've talked about well, we've talked about the word rights and the system. And, you know, something I've been looking into a lot is the racial bias that exists in our healthcare system. You said in your birth report that when we look at the outcomes of birth, it's traditionally measured by maternal and infant mortality and morbidity rates. And we know from studies that Māori and Pacific women have a disproportionately higher incidence of both of those things in New Zealand. And it has been acknowledged that that is due to the biases in our healthcare system, as well as a multitude of other factors. But I guess what there isn't is statistics or insight into how birth trauma affects these mothers. And so I guess I would just like to know what your experience has been working with any of these women from these backgrounds and whether that that birthright of cultural sensitivity is sometimes compromised and can contribute to their birth trauma. Well,
1: absolutely. Cultural insensitivity is rife here as it is all over the world, right? So, where racism exists, it exists in the birthroom. And in the birthroom, like pretty much anywhere else in our society, it's a white man's world. And you feel the effects of that never more so than when you are giving birth to your baby, I believe. Um, and so, uh, Māori and Pacifica women are overrepresented in, in those areas of maternal mortality and morbidity. That's just, you know, just a reflection of the wider biases that exist within all systems of, in all our healthcare systems as other systems in our society. Um, I didn't have any, uh, data in my, In my research, I guess you'd call it. It doesn't, you know, it was a survey. It didn't, I didn't intend it to be a sort of a big piece of research, but it ended up feeling like quite a big thing. I didn't ask for ethnic background and I, I wish I had, but you know, like there just is no research out there on these things. So the data that's collected is around. Mortality and morbidity rates, maternal and infant. And, you know, there are higher rates of infant mortality and morbidity amongst Māori and Pacifica, um, women as well, compared to their non Māori and non Pacifica, um, population. But in general, if we talk about mental health in general, uh, we know that statistically there's a higher prevalence and earlier onset of age of onset of, uh, mental health disorders and greater severity of mental health disorders amongst Maori and Pacifica peoples compared to uh, European people. Pakia, the statistics say that around half with a serious mental health disorder are not receiving mental health care for their needs. That perinatal anxiety and depression disorders are often not identified in Maori women, um, in the community, and they're often not detected by primary healthcare professionals. And part of that will be that there are there are greater risk factors amongst Maori um, and Pacifica um, women, be uh, owing to the fact that they have they're often earlier to leave school, they um. Often get pregnant at a younger age. Um, there's higher rates of, for instance, smoking, alcohol, and drug abuse, and these, and obesity, and these things will all feed into that need for more interventionist care, which I've already described to you as one of the key players in having a disempowering experience. You know, a lot of babies. Um, that are born early uh, to Māori and Pacifica women, for instance. So, um, that's, that's, that's going to be traumatizing for anybody to have their baby have to spend time in the neonatal intensive care unit, et cetera. But kind of coming back to that point that you raised in the beginning of your question to me around me saying that, um, statistics are, are viewed in terms of maternal and infant morbid, morbidity and mortality, you see, Healthcare needs to be holistic. It needs to take into account so much more than just the physical well-being of a mother and their baby. There's the mental well-being, the emotional well-being, the spiritual well-being. These are all such important factors. And I think for the statistics to sort of say, or not even statistics, because there's just not enough research done on this stuff, but, you know, for for um healthcare professionals to be telling women that they had safe birth outcomes or to imply that they, they had safe birth outcomes when there's, there hasn't been any maternal or infant morbidity or mortality. So no physically bad consequences for the mother or baby is just so undermining of what um, birth trauma is all about for women. You, you, you don't have to have had a near death experience. You don't have to have, you know, have any physical after, after effects of, um, of a traumatic birth. If you didn't have your spiritual and emotional and mental needs met in that s- incredibly important time in your life, then that is going to have fallout. That is going to have mental health consequences. Yeah, And, yeah, so we need to, like, redefine this term safe. You know, safety needs to be talked about in a holistic sense, right? We all want safe outcomes from our birth experience. But we want holistically safe outcomes. It's hardly been a safe birth if the mother and and baby are both physically fine. It's hardly been a safe birth experience if she is one of the women who – who is thinking about committing suicide because she is just so torn up by her experience and feels so helpless to know how to cope with this, the intensity of feelings she has around her traumatic birth. You know, maternal mortality, uh, sorry, um, maternal suicide is the uh, the greatest cause of maternal deaths in New Zealand. Yeah and Māori are overrepresented in
0: that statistic. Yeah, it's so frightening, isn't it? I guess when we talk about all of these things and it being the system and where healthcare falls down, because fundamentally it does, in the hospital, in our postnatal care, as sisters, friends, colleagues, fellow coffee group mums how can we best support the women in our lives who have had a traumatic experience giving birth when perhaps we have not so we can't we can't ever fully understand what that feels like but what advice do you have for those of us who might recognize that our friends had a traumatic experience and we want to help them and be there for them how can we best do that Oh, look, it is just
1: as simple as saying just give your friend space to talk and share and don't feel the need to try and soothe anything. Just listen and just say, shit, that sounds hard. I'm here for you. The other thing I would suggest is that you let them know that they are worthy of getting support. And, um, this is becoming easier to find nowadays. Um, so lots of women who have been damaged by the system do not trust, uh, being, continuing to be part of that system in terms of the, of getting support. So they don't want a referral to maternal mental health. Sometimes because they don't want any labels put on, you know, they don't want to, be told that they've got depression or that they should go on some medication or any of that. And, and I'm not meaning to imply that that's what's going to necessarily happen at all. Um, there are plenty of women who have used perinatal mental health services and found, um, you know, great healing from that service. But for a lot of women who have been traumatized by a system of care that has let them down, they don't trust being, continuing to be part of that service. They don't trust that that same system is going to be able to offer them the, the healing that they need. Um, so, and, and that's part of why I set myself up with, with as voice for parents was having, you know, being somebody outside of the system who, um, was able to offer the support. So there is saying, you know, you can go to your GP and they could do a referral to perinatal mental health. That's one avenue. Um, you can Google voice for parents. That's voiceforparents.co.nz is my website and that, you know, get in touch with me. And if I, if I, if I can't support you, I probably can, you know, suggest somebody who can. There's an awesome website that Kate Hicks set up, um, called My Birth Story dot org dot nz, um, that has, uh, she set that up out of the love of her beautiful heart, um, to, as just a place to go, um, f- to find information about birth trauma support and what's available in your local area. So that's a great resource as well. Yeah, those would be the key ones, I think. I, I just recently ran, um, During during lockdown, I ran. I I took the opportunity because we were on school break for the first couple of weeks to um, start up an online birth trauma support training team. So it was my first time of doing this. I had lots of people over the years say to me, "You know, do you offer any training around how to how to you know?" There's lots of people out there who want to support people support women who have experienced birth trauma, but don't feel competent to to do that and so so I ran yeah I had 46 women sign up to that which was really really cool and it took we did it over nine weeks so I'm going to get a list together of those who are kind of keen to put their names out there as offering birth trauma support sort of services so so yeah I haven't quite got there with that yet but that won't be far away so there will be more and more people around the country who are who are feeling um able to provide that support but Honestly, if if all you feel capable of doing is is just saying, it's just listening, is just saying, you know, if you want to share your story with me, I'm here to listen. That's huge. That can be the biggest, the biggest healing that um, a, a, you know a woman can receive is to just be heard and have her, have her experience validated.
0: Yeah, absolutely. For any women who are listening, who are expectant mothers potentially first-time mothers who are afraid of having a traumatic birth experience, how can they best set themselves up to having a positive one? Yeah. Awesome
1: question because you know what, like so much of this work I'm doing is obviously it's ambulance at the bottom of the cliff stuff, right? And I would love to have more time to devote to doing that sort of education, and that will be part of what I do before long. But, you know, antenatal education around setting yourself up for a positive and empowered experience, you know, there's a lot of it going on, actually. There's a lot of good good antenatal classes happening out there, but there's also a lot of crap ones, you know. We want to be learning as much as we can about normal birthing physiology, and a great book, or a resource, you don't have to get the book. She's got a lot of her stuff online, is Dr. Sarah Buckley's work. Um, she wrote a book called Gentle Birth, Gentle Mothering. Um, that's a really, really good resource uh, to learn about how different hormones affect different things in labour and birth and motherhood. So understand how birthing bodies work and how they work best. There's spinning babies, which is a great um like they run courses and things like that, a spinning babies approved people, and so that's 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 learning about birthing physiology and how to encourage uh, the the normal healthy birth process. For you don't have to be Maori to attend these, but they are set up for um, you know for our Maori population. Uh, the it used to be Wananga um, that was run by Kellyanne Spriggs, who's an awesome wahine in the Waikato and then she sort of set up a bunch around the place but now she's working uh for Plunkett and her and a few others amongst them Rawinia Hohua who did that training course that I just told you about they are running these here antenatal education and I don't know where they've set them up like I think there's a few around the place but if anybody is interested in doing their antenatal education, you could go on Kelly's Facebook page, um, Kelly Childbirth Educators, no, Kelly Childbirth Educator Waikato, and sh- she's always posting awesome stuff on her page, like, and yeah, heaps of practical tips and things like that. So, so that's a really good option. There are, you know, more and more of these things coming out. But I tell you what, like, one of the key things that will, can make just the world of difference is to, you know, I'm just thinking of this meme that I, that I posted to my page once and it just got shared like tens of thousands of shares. Like it was crazy how, how far it must have just hit a chord with so many people. And the meme says, A good midwife can mean the difference between a difficult birth being empowering and a difficult birth being traumatic. Well, I think I had it the other way around. But, you know, a good midwife can make the world a difference. Good midwifery support is huge. And we are so fortunate in New Zealand to have the model of midwifery care that we do. It's unfortunate that not all midwives work in that partnership model that has been designed to Increase that holistically safe birth experience, where you can have the same midwife follow you. You know, you can choose who your midwife is and have the same midwife follow you through right through your pregnancy and birth and postnatally. And like that in itself can be really, really huge. If you if you can find yourself a good midwife, one that values, and you need to ask the questions right at the start. Ask about mm. what's your what's your birthing philosophy. You know, um, how many. And just see how, how she responds to that and does it, and what, what your vibes are, you know, start listening to that gut of yours. Yep. Like that's another big one yep. is like learning just to listen to your instincts. And if something doesn't feel right, listen to that and act on it. Right. And if one of those things that doesn't feel right is the midwife that you've chosen and you're halfway through your pregnancy or you're 36 weeks through your pregnancy, whatever it is, if it, do- if she's not feeling right for you, change midwives but yeah there's lots of good questions you can ask and I I, I could be here all night sort of talking about these things but um yeah if you want me to sort of share some some questions with you later I can but yeah and I and I always suggest like interview a few midwives if you if you are able to because we do have a shortage of midwives and that's a I sigh I I sigh a heavy sigh because you know it's just a bit of a rough rough world out there for um midwives at the moment underpaid and understaffed and all that. So yeah, if you are able to then interview a few midwives and go with the one that, that feels the right fit for you, who's gonna take time to to talk with you antenatally. Appointments should not be fifteen minutes long with, you know, feeling your belly, getting you to pee on a stick, taking your blood pressure handing you a blood form or a, a, a scan form and sending you back out the door I would want a midwife who was saying tell me about your last birth you know what are your fears for this birth what are your hopes for this birth like and somebody who's gonna just take time to establish that rapport and develop that trusting partnership and who values the importance of you making the decisions for your body and your birth and your baby
0: yeah absolutely I I recommend all of those things to people as well. Awesome. Interview your midwives. Find a couple. Like, don't just go with the first option if you have the option of speaking to multiple so that you can find out where you fit. And it's really hard, especially as a first-time mum, because you haven't done this before and you're probably still on your journey of working out where your preferences lie. Um, but, you yeah, really trust your gut. On that. Absolutely, and and that's something that comes through more and more as you move through your journey of motherhood, is that intuition. Um, but yeah, listen to that and trust yourself. Try and uh, hear some really
1: good positive birth stories as well. Um, mm. You know, we see t- and hear too much negative stuff. I. I felt so strongly about this. When I was pregnant I loved reading the book Spiritual Midwifery by Ina May Gaskin. Set in the States in um Tennessee back in the like seventies. Um and it has a whole lot of birth stories in there of these uh women who birthed on the farm, which is uh like you'd you'd go to this place, you know, you give birth in these like house trucks and <laughs> it was a kind of real happy experience. But I, I loved reading these birth stories when I was pregnant. It would kind of get the oxytocin flowing and get me really like, I don't know, loved up and excited about my births and um and I was like, it's such a shame that we don't have a you know, a book that's New Zealand that's Aotearoa stories like that feel relatable you know this just felt quite far removed from the sort of Kiwi experience and so um, I put together one I published a book a few years back in 2013 called Where the Heart Is that's stories of home birth in New Zealand and you don't have to be a home birther or think that you know that's something that you want to do when you're You know, you might be pregnant for the first time and think like, "What? I don't want to read stories about home birth. There's no way I'm having my baby at home. But you'll probably read the stories and be completely flipped (laughs) in your decision making (laughs) because the stories are just amazing and so powerful. I think story sharing is incredibly powerful. And, yeah, there's a chapter on Māori birthing in there which talks a lot about tikanga and um, it's, and there's, you know, a chapter on unexpected outcomes and, yeah, anyway, I just, I love that I've got, you know, this, this collection of New Zealand birth stories because I think sharing stories is just really cool.
0: Incredible. Yeah. I, um, I didn't read spiritual midwifery, but I did read Ina May's guide to childbirth. And it's a great book. I loved yeah. it and I treasure it and I recommend it to everyone. And when I told my midwife who I adore that I was reading it, she was like, Are you sure you're not destined to be a midwife? Because you're pretty, pretty obsessed with this stuff. But yeah, Ina May is like, the Queen, of she's midwifery. amazing. Just love her. She is. Yeah. We have some absolutely
1: phenomenal midwives in New Zealand. You know, like I do hear, I do hear some pretty horrendous stories about some, you know, devastating examples of poor midwifery care. Mm. But I also know the uh, incredible source of support and love and healing that um, so many of our midwives out there are providing as well. Just want to acknowledge that,
0: yeah. Well, my final question is a pretty expansive one. And I guess it's how do people listening to our kōrero tonight continue this? And how do we make this better? How do we reform the system And where to from here? Mm, Yeah, that is a big question, eh? And this was,
1: this was sort of something that came up in that training group that I, that I ran. It was like, how do you not get disheartened? How, what keeps you like, isn't it just tragic hearing these stories again and again and again? Don't you just get completely disheartened? And I say, oh, hell yes. Like it is, it's heartbreaking every time for sure. But use that anger for good you know like use it for power like talk about this more do those things that we talked about before around supporting our sisters who are experiencing uh, you know some of the horror that goes on out there in the birthing world listen to them that's that's changing you could change their story just by listening to them and hearing them and validating their experience telling them that whatever they're feeling is totally valid that right there could just change their story. It could change their story for their next birth. It could change what their children experience around birth and what their sisters and their friends experience because you are changing a story that has been told for a long time that's led us to believe we can't trust our bodies, we are incapable, we're weak, we're, we need medical men to tell us what to do and when to do it when it comes to birth, and so we can start telling a different story. We can start sharing our positive and empowered stories as as when if and when it feels appropriate to you know you don't want to tell somebody who's just told you their their terrible story uh, um, a positive and empowering story, but when they're ready to hear that you know that's that's powerful too. And yeah, like I like I say, you know, like I was. I was totally stoked that I had forty six people signing up to do this training. There are people out there who are going, "I want to change things here. Um, we can remind women that when it comes to birth rights, that there is no hospital policy protocol or midwife advice or doctor you know um, advice that supersedes a woman 's right to make Um, the informed choices that she believes are best for her and her baby. Even if the choices that she um, uh, chooses uh, put the baby's life at greater risk, she still has the right to do that. That's how far stretching those rights go, right? So even if she's knowingly putting her baby at greater risk, which why on earth would a woman do that? It's just different perceptions of risk, right? That safety thing. Like what's safe for one woman will look completely... Unsafe for another, depending on what their experiences have been and what they've grown up understanding. So, yeah, learning, uh, encouraging women to understand that they have the right to, to say no, to switch midwives if they're not comfortable with their midwife, to attend a, an obstetric referral, um, and have the obstetrician say, my recommendation is that you have an induction of labor, um, and for them to, to, you know, Go home, read up on that, look into the research behind it, and say, and for them to decide that no, they're not going to do that, they're going to wait for their body to go into spontaneous labor. Just learning birthing physiology is hugely um, empowering because and understanding that understanding that um, birthing professionals, whether that's a midwife or a doctor, or obstetrician, they are not the experts on your body. Or on what's best for you around your birth, or what's best for your baby. Actually, you're the expert on your body, and it can be incredibly empowering to arm yourself with good, you know, research based information, evidence based. Sort of articles and that sort of thing to, to really feel more confident in making decisions for yourself around your birth. Yeah, there's a lot of practices that go on out there. Um, there's a lot of things, interventions that are encouraged that are non evidence based. If I was to give you just one example. So the 20-week scan, dating scan, uh, not dating scan, the 20-week scan, anatomy scan, I think they call it, um, it's kind of like a given, right? Like, oh, you know, here's your scan form, You're, you know, the woman head along for this scan excitedly, but they're not given the information that the World Health Organization, who's pretty conservative in their approach to medical things generally, <laughs> um, they do not recommend routine scanning because it does not improve outcomes and it increases the rates of intervention, right? So that's just one small example where how many women are going for scans not being aware that this increases the chances of them having interventions and it does not improve outcomes for them. Now, lots of women will still choose to go and have their scan, and that's that's as long as they're making an informed decision, then that's their, that's their absolute right. But there are just so many examples, you know, like... Clamping and cutting of the umbilical cord is another one that's been just so slow to get practice in line with what we've known for, for many, 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 many years. And that is that we should not clamp and cut a cord um, until it's stopped pulsing, right? Until the baby's received all its blood and all the nutrients and goodies that are in that blood. Um, it's another example where we're still seeing cords being clamped and cut early for you know lots of babies
0: yeah so how do we how do we change the system (laughs) i just told you
1: (laughs) we get informed and we support one another as women right like no judgments we do not judge one another for the decisions we make around our births we we respect that whatever a woman feels about her birth is valid. We start changing the story for our children. Like I, for my births, my daughter, um, so she's she's eight years older than her first brother and 10 years older than her second brother. She was at her brother's births and they were really awesome experiences. It's a, a beautiful way to educate others. In fact, I always had lots of people at my births because I liked them to see this is what birthing can look like. So, yeah, sharing our stories of positive and empowered birthing and how we achieve that can be really, really powerful. So, can sharing your stories of trauma and being heard and and for other people to hear you sharing your story, that empowers them to feel okay to share their own horrible story. And, oh, so I'm, you know, I'm not the only one who felt, mm. like, numb when my baby was put on my arms or felt like I just wanted to hand the baby back, you know? I'm not alone in feeling that. Oh, I've always felt so guilty about that. Sharing the stories um, is just, can be so incredibly powerful. Just... Finding those good midwives—that's really, really important. Um, and if you can't find a good midwife, then hopefully there might be a good doula in your area. If, you know, that's a—that's becoming more popular in in New Zealand now too. You know, having a birth, a support person along at your birth who's there just to support your emotional um, and physical needs. Um, yeah. And to advocate for you, you know, have somebody—at least one person who's got your back in, in labour. Um, who knows what's important to you and who will help be your voice when sometimes you can feel pretty powerless. Yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think what I take away from all of that is that as birthing mothers, we can take the power back. It's up to us. Well, thank you so much for joining me tonight and what has been very emotional conversation I'm sure it will be for a lot of women listening as well Um, if they do want to work with you is the best place just to go to your website voiceforparents.co.nz yeah yep or you can find me
1: on Facebook and have a little look at the sorts of things I've posted on there but like I said also there's that other website as well which is a really good one mybirthstory.org.nz for seeing what other support systems are available out there yeah
0: Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Motherness. For more empowering interviews like this one, check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen. And if you like today's episode, please subscribe and leave a review so more listeners can discover all that Motherness has to offer. We are at motherness.podcast on Instagram, and our DMs are always open if you need advice or would like to chat. I'm Sky Ross, and you've been listening to Motherness.